My Journey of Faith Radio with your host, Vicki Pett Henderson, physician, writer, speaker, encourager, and lover of God's Word. My Journey of Faith is a place to inspire, equip, and encourage women in their personal walk with Christ. Here's your host, Vicki Pett Henderson. Thank you for joining my journey of faith today. I'm so glad you're here with me. I have something that I want to share with you today that I shared with a group of college students a couple of nights ago. I was asked to speak at the Wesley Foundation. And let me just tell you, there are some good things going on on college campuses. I spoke to a group of young men and young women who are seeking after the Lord. And, you know, life's hard, and especially hard at that age. And so they asked me specifically to come and speak about finding peace and contentment in our anxiety and fear and frustration. And I think this is something that's very epidemic in our society right now. And so I thought I'd share with you a little bit of what I I talked to the college kids about, and and they were just such an awesome group. Uh, And I just thought it would be good to share that with you here today. You know, I spent about 20 years sitting on a rolling stool, doling out advice. And women would come to me, and they would just bare their souls and confide in me their deepest struggles and frustrations and fears and I sat on that little rolling stool and I quoted scriptures and I recommended books and I prescribed medications and I had all these little techniques that I recommended for dealing with anxiety and then as many of you know if you know my story my life turned upside down I developed a rare neuromuscular disease called myasthenia gravis And I was unable to work, and I was unable to enjoy all of my active hobbies, and I pretty much lost everything familiar in my life at that time. And so I had to ask myself if I believed all of the advice that I had doled out over the years. And I can tell you without a doubt, the answer was immediately yes. I had the Word of God in my heart and in my head, and it carried me through that time. And it ended up being a very, very sweet season of what I call a year of Sabbath rest. I was very handicapped for a year, and then my health has continued to improve since then. But it was just a sweet season with the Lord. And so it's a nice testimony, and it's a nice story, and it wraps up in a neat little bow. And isn't that wonderful? But then my life turned inside out. Guts on the floor, inside out. And for the first time in my life, I experienced anxiety. And all that illness seemed like a cakewalk. My life feels like it's unraveling at the seams. And I can't eat, and I can't sleep, and I can't think, and I can't breathe. And it really was all I could do to go and stand there before those students. I I felt like I was just absolutely in survival mode. But the Word of God comes in and ministers to me. If you want to hear God speak and you need to hear his reassurances in your life, you've got to have the word in you. If the earth moves and the mountains crumble into the sea, his faithful love is there forever. And so I needed all of those recommendations that I made. And so I asked those students, do you think they work? They do, but it ain't easy. It is hard. It's hard to do them. Because you have to make that choice, and it's a hard choice, especially when you're trying to make it in the middle of some raging battle around you. And one of the things I recommend is, if you are not 
in a difficult season in your life, now is the time to train for battle because I promise you it's coming. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And if we want to get to know the overcomer of the world, then we absolutely have to know what his word says. And we have to get into the word and camp there and marinate there so that those scriptures are in our heart and in our head when that difficult season comes. And you have to decide in advance and you have to prepare in advance. I remember a Sunday school teacher once told a story about an aircraft carrier. You know those great big ships that are out in the ocean and they have those F-16 fighter fighter planes that take off that short little runway. And I believe they slingshot them off of there and then their engine starts and then they fly up into the sky. Well, there was a pilot, and he was pretty seasoned. He was a middle-aged pilot, and his plane, instead of taking off at the end of that aircraft carrier, it dove into the sea and was gone within two seconds. But the pilot had ejected himself, and he was safe. And all of his comrades were just so amazed, and they were asking him, how in the world did you make that decision to pull the ejection lever? When did you decide that you were out of there? And he said, you know, I decided about 25 years ago. He said, I marked that object right there on the ship, and I decided that if I passed that and my engines hadn't started, I was out of there. And let me just tell you, that's what we have to do. We have to decide before our life unravels whether or not we're going to fall apart. And we have to decide beforehand when we get into risky and tempting situations not to go down that path. When we pass that point, we know we're in trouble. And we need to pull that ejection lever and say, I am out of here. You know, anxiety and fear and frustration are just epidemic emotions. It's a silent war that goes on inside of our brain. It's not something that's real familiar to me, but lately I've just worn a rut in my brain. I just, I think the same thoughts over and over, and they take me to the very same place every time, and it's a place I don't want to be. I'm fixated on my problems, and I'm frustrated at my powerlessness, and I'm just knotted up with worry and anxiety to the point that I wake up hard to breathe and my heart pounding against the mattress. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Anxiety is a formidable opponent. And I have written about it before. I have written a thing I called prescriptions for anxiety. Some of my listeners may have gotten that before. I've offered that as a PDF PDF on my website. But I literally picked those prescriptions for anxiety up in preparation for this talk. And I told those students, this talk was not for you. It was absolutely for me. Because now I had to take those keys and try them in the lock to see if they truly did open the door to freedom. The first key that I found was focus. Because thinking the same thoughts over and over and over, I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay if I focus on my big problem instead of focusing on my big God. I've got to focus on my big God, not my big problem. Did you know that a dime can block out the light of the sun? If 
you hold it right up against your eyeball. When you do that, you're unable to see the light of day, and you're certainly unable to see the light of Christ. When you hold your problems right up against your eyeball and focus on them over and over again. Worship is focus. Whatever we're focused on, that's what we're worshiping. And so we've got to worship God and quit spinning those mental tires futilely, slinging mud everywhere, getting no traction, wearing that rut deeper and deeper. And you know, the deeper it goes, the harder it is to get out of. And eventually, we got to call a tow truck. We need help. We need help to get out of those ruts that we dig in our brain. And there's actually some physical evidence that we make those neurons in our brain fire in a familiar pattern. So it gets easier. It's almost a an automatic response once we think that first thought that we end up in that same destination. And so we've got to stop. It's a stronghold. And we've got to stop, and we do so by changing our focus. So ask yourself, what are you focused on? What are you worshiping? I recently read a passage that Christine Kane wrote, and she said, Find your fear, and you have found your idol. What are you so afraid of losing? That is your idol. In Isaiah 26, 3, it tells us, He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in the Lord. We've got to have a steadfast focus on the Lord. The second key is similar to the first. It's praise. And this is something I often recommended to my patients. It's called praise therapy. When you're experiencing anxiety, try some praise therapy. Now, I'll tell you, ironically, one of the things that gets in the way of praise therapy is our prayers. You heard me right. Our prayers can actually hinder our praise sometimes when we're experiencing anxiety. And the reason for that is, we focus on the anxiety and the problem when we pray. And see if this sounds familiar to anyone. Oh, Lord, please deliver me from this anxiety. Please help me to overcome my fears and my worry and my depression and my frustration and fix my situation and heal my disease and fix my relationships. And my, 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 my. Where's the focus? It's on me. So praise therapy is when we focus on who God is instead of what I need. God already knows what we need. And let me tell you, he wants us to bring his needs to him. And he wants us to bring our needs over and over and over. But you know what? We need to tell God who he is. I'm pretty sure he already knows, but we may need a little reminder. So we need to learn who God is and tell him who he is. A few years ago, I had to have a biopsy. And the area that was being biopsied was very suspicious for cancer. And so I was very concerned, and a dear friend of mine said, I want you to read Psalm 91. And I read Psalm 91, and then I memorized Psalm 91. And I want you to know, any of you can memorize Scripture. If you just say it over and over and over and over, I do it when I'm getting ready or when I'm in my car, and if you do it out loud, it helps. But memorize Scripture. Psalm 91, it just has these characteristics of God. And so when I would start to think about, well, what if I have cancer? Then I would say, God is my rock. He is my shelter. He is my stronghold. He is a mighty fortress. He is a deliverer. He is a rescuer. And that's what I'm talking about when I say praise therapy. Another thing I think is helpful is to learn the Hebrew names of God. El Elohim, Yahweh, the great I am, 
El Roy, the God who sees, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, or the names of Jesus. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the great physician. I am the door, the shepherd, the way, the truth, the life. You need to know these names of God, and you especially need to know them when you're going to bed at night. Because I don't know what happens when the lights turn out and all the distractions of this world are gone. That's when anxiety starts to grow. And it grows even more if we feed it. And so at night when you're laying down and you just cannot sleep because you're thinking about all the problems that you're facing, then I would try this little technique. What I do is I go through the alphabet. Start with A. And think of either a characteristic of God or Jesus. You may want to divide it up into Old Testament or New Testament, depending on how challenging you want to make it for yourself. But say, A, Almighty God. And go through the whole alphabet. Now, I rarely get past K, and I would like for any of you to let me know if you are able to get to X. I have never been able to think of anything that starts with the letter X unless you cheat and say, Excellent. Another thing I think that helps with focus and praise is worship music. And I had the neatest thing happen when I was talking to this group of students because I had traveled internationally. I had gotten home at 2 o'clock that morning and spoke to that group that night. And I was not nearly as prepared as I usually am. I, I was shooting a little more from the hip and just sharing my heart. And I got there a little frazzled and I wasn't prepared but boy, God had prepared the whole night. And they sang their first song. They had a praise team, and they sang the first song. The second song was my very favorite song, and it's David Crowder's song, Oh How He Loves Us. And there's a line in there that just hit me between the eyes. Our afflictions are eclipsed by his glory. And that's the opposite of putting that dime up against your eyeball. Our afflictions are eclipsed by his glory. And I just... At that moment, I felt the Spirit in me, and I knew that God had coordinated that whole night, and I actually asked that team to sing that song for me again because music can really minister to your soul. It is balm to a heart that is filled with anxiety. The third key is discipline because, listen, this stuff I'm telling you, it is not easy. And the Bible tells us that we have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, we can't let our mind go there. We've got to chase it, that thought down and capture it and pull it back in and not go through the what-ifs. What-ifs are such a total waste of time, but they're so natural for us to do that. And so we have to discipline our minds and take our thoughts captive before that rut gets too deep. That same passage of Scripture tells us that our weapons are mighty. And our biggest weapon is the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6 tells us that, and it says that we are to be prepared. We can't get into a difficult situation and then go to the Word and try to find a passage of Scripture to help us. I mean, we can, but that's like being in the middle of a war and asking where your body armor is and where your helmet is. And likely you're going to need a friend to help you at that point. But if you've already prepared yourself for battle and you've already got the Word deep in you, that's how God reassures you and speaks to you. I had a neat experience about three days ago. The Lord just gave me this verse. It just flitted at the edge of my brain. And it was uh, the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar was getting ready to throw them into the furnace. And they said, our God is able to deliver us 
that even if he doesn't, we'll still worship him. And that just flitted at my brain, and I thought, you know what? I have to, I have to feel the same way. My God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I ever asked or imagined. But even if he doesn't deliver me from my situation, I will praise him. The very next day, my friend that I was traveling with gave me that same scripture. And then another person told me that same thing the next day. That's how God speaks to us. And if you've never experienced that, dig deeper into the word. Because I promise you that's how God talks to us. It's his language. It's how we know him. And if we're going to have a sword of the spirit, it has to be bigger than a toothpick. You know what I'm saying? The enemy is not intimidated if we know five or six scriptures. We need a great big sword to carry around with us all of the time. The next key is gratitude. When we are discontent, we are ungrateful. And we need to count our blessings. And let me tell you, I think it counts, to say it out loud makes it more powerful. When you count your blessings, say it out loud. Because God is our portion, and he is our prize, and he is enough. And all that stuff that you wear yourself out over, sometimes in the end, just turns out okay anyway. And when it's all done, despite the outcome, you know what? He's promised he's never going to leave us, and he's never going to forsake us. And we can be grateful for his very presence, if nothing else. And we're supposed to be thankful in every situation we're in even when it's hard. And despair takes us to that place of ungratitude where we're so full of self-pity about our problems. And the Bible says, be content with what you have. And so when I first got sick, I, I did this, and I did it in a journal. And I would just literally write out everything I was thankful for. I was thankful that I didn't get sick till I was middle-aged. And that way I was able to play with my kids and do the crazy stuff that I did. I jumped on the trampoline and I rollerbladed and we played kickball in the yard. And I wouldn't have been able to do those things if I had developed this disease when they were young. And so I said, thank you, Lord, I didn't get this until this age. And I said, thank you, Lord, that I was born healthy. And I was sharing this with a woman recently whose father was dying of cancer. And she said, how can I be thankful for this? And I said, you can be thankful for your dad. A lot of women don't have a dad, and you have a dad, be thankful for him. You don't have to be thankful for his cancer, but be thankful for your father in the years that you've had with him. And write those things down. You know, a journal is a cheap psychiatrist. When you write them down and put them in ink, and then you can go back and look at the faithfulness of the Lord, sometimes that helps you to exercise those faith muscles because faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. The next key is service. One of the greatest ways to get the focus off of ourselves and our own problems is to focus on the needs of others. If you can go out and serve others, your problems sometimes will start to seem small. I promise there are a lot of things that people are experiencing in this world that are unbelievable. They're difficult to even comprehend. And if you will focus on serving the needs of others, you will totally forget about your own problems. Now, the final key that I want to talk to you about is the most important one, but it's the hardest, and that is surrender. Victory is close at hand when you can pray the prayer that never, ever fails. There is a prayer that God always answers, 
and that thy will be done. Now, I want to warn you, Jesus prayed this prayer, and it turned out pretty gruesome for him. He allowed his beloved son to suffer and die on the cross when Jesus said, thy will be done. But in that surrender, there is total and complete peace. I call it the whatever Lord prayer. Whatever Lord, if I can get to the point where I can say, whatever Lord, however this turns out, I will still praise you. Then I experience total and complete peace. But that requires giving up control and trusting that God's plans for my future are greater than anything I could dream up or imagine for myself. And when I totally trust him with my future and the future of those that I love, then all that anxiety begins to fade away. And that's faith. That's that faith muscle that we have to exercise because I'm telling you, the first time you try to do this, you will not succeed. Or at least I didn't. You may do every one of these steps and it may not make a difference. You've got to exercise. The weaker that muscle is, you've got to exercise it over and over and over until it gets strong. Because faith is the opposite of fear. And if we feed our fears and we feed our anxieties, then that's what's going to grow. And if we keep going down that rut, then that rut's just going to get deeper and deeper and harder to get out of. But trust is accepting that God is God. And he really does love us. And he really does know the future. And therefore, he knows what's best for us and what's best for his glory and his kingdom. Years ago, my sister was staying at my house and she had her son with her. And he is now 18 years old. So this happened a long time ago, but she was at my house and she was upstairs and I was actually at work. And he was about nine months old and he was he had little short chubby legs and she had him on her hip. So his one leg was in front of her and the other was behind her. And as she was going down the stairs, she slipped on that carpet and she just sat down real hard on the stairs. Well, unfortunately, his leg was under her. And so he cried and cried and cried. I put him down for a nap. When he woke up for the nap, his leg was red and it was swollen and it was tender and he was crying. And so she called me and I said, well, you've got to take him into the pediatrician. And she didn't even live where I live. And so I called my friend that's a pediatrician and he got her right in. And he examined the little leg and he looked at my sister and he said, it's going to be okay. Then he said, we're going to do an x-ray and it's still going to be okay. You see, that doctor knew that that baby's leg was broken. But he also knew that it was going to heal. And let me just tell you, if you are broken right now, God knows. He sees your brokenness. But he can heal you. In fact, he promises he will heal you. And I don't mean that you can name and claim physical or emotional or any other kind of healing. I'm just saying, God will heal your soul. And Psalm 107 says, He sent forth His word and healed them. So you have to be in the word to receive that healing because it's going to be okay. We're going to be broken, but He can heal us. And it's going to be okay. Well, like I said, this anxiety is new to my life. This unraveling is new to my life. Upside down I can handle, but shredded is a whole lot more challenging. But the same God who saw me through my physical weakness will see me through my emotional and mental weakness as well. 
if I quit focusing and depending on myself. The cure for anxiety is not a single dose. The deeper that rut is, the longer it takes to get out, and the more you have to just keep doing these things over and over and over. We have to reprogram our brain and learn a new language. We have to learn God's language because that's how he speaks to us. I just want to share one other thing. As a physician, I treated a lot of anxiety over the years, and sometimes I treated it with medication. I think sometimes we think as Christians that we're going to get a vaccination so that we're all immune to this. We're immune to depression. We're immune to anxiety. And I just don't believe that God would have inspired so many words in the scriptures about anxiety and fear if it wasn't something that Christians we're going to battle and deal with. And I, over the years, had many, many patients who were prescribed medications for depression or anxiety that didn't really want to take them because they felt like that was some kind of a spiritual weakness. And this is what I would tell them. Depression, especially, is like a three-legged stool. You have a spiritual component, you have an emotional component, and you have a physical component. And we know a lot about neurotransmitters in the brain and the science behind all of this. And if any one of the legs of a three-legged stool is removed, then that stool will fall over. So if you're experiencing anxiety and depression, then I would just go before the Lord, get on your knees, ask him to examine your heart and your soul and see if there's anything that needs to be aligned with him. But if you're walking with the Lord and I'm not saying if you have it all together. I'm just saying if you're walking with the Lord and you're still experiencing anxiety and depression, and maybe you have a situation that you're dealing with, then you may need counseling to help you deal with that situation. But there is certainly a place for treating the physical aspects of anxiety and depression. And the story that I always used was the story of King Hezekiah. He was sick and he was about to die and he turned his face to the Lord or to the wall and he cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, please let me live. And the Lord granted him 15 more years of life. But he didn't just wave a magic wand and say, poof, Hezekiah, you're healed. You prayed and you, you got it. You're healed. Your faith has made you well. He didn't do that. There are situations where Jesus did that. But in this situation, God sent the prophet Isaiah to apply a fig poultice to Hezekiah's forehead. Well, what's the purpose of that? In biblical times, a fig poultice was medicinal. In my mind, and this may be an incorrect interpretation of Scripture because I've not studied this anywhere, I'm just telling you in my mind, that is like taking a medication that is needed for a chemical imbalance in the brain. And this is especially true when life is wonderful. If your spiritual life is good and you don't have any major problems you're facing and yet you struggle with this anxiety that just doesn't even make any sense, oftentimes that is physical and that is a neurochemical imbalance. And if taking a pill makes you better, then you are clearly treating a neurochemical disorder. Because taking a pill is not going to make your spiritual life better, and it is not going to make your circumstances better. So I just wanted to share that with you if you are struggling with anxiety and you need to take something. I do recommend not taking something that's addictive, but there are opportunities and options to take something. If you had high blood pressure or diabetes, you wouldn't say, oh, I don't want to take anything. I'm just going to ask the Lord to heal me. There is a place for medication, and you may need a fig poultice. So don't think of that as weakness. 
But if you're struggling with a situation, I would just encourage you to just go through these these keys that I've given you. I do believe they unlock the door to freedom, but they may have to be used over and over and over again. And so I pray that any of you out there who are struggling with anxiety would just cast all of your cares on him. Because I promise you, he cares for you. Thank you so much for being here with me today.